Hey everybody, on this week's episode we are discussing 1980s Airplane. Uh, we do recommend watching the movie ahead of time, it just generally makes the discussion a little more interesting. So John, what is Airplane about? Mike, in Airplane, we follow Ted Stryker, who has drifted through life unsuccessfully since he led a dreadful air attack in World War II. When his air stewardess wife, Elaine, leaves him, Ted hurries onto the plane, where he tries to convince her that he has changed. Meanwhile, many of the people on the flight, including the pilot, fall ill with food poisoning. It's left up to Ted, with help from Captain McCroskey and air control, to safely land the plane. I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate you so much. I picked the wrong day to stop doing crystal meth, John. Let me tell you. Oh, oh man. Uh, there's an even better, there's great, there's important context to the thing, but we'll do that after uh, we get into the show, which on that note, welcome to this film could be your life. <laughs> that is the plot of the movie. <laughs> that is in fact, everybody welcome once again to this film could be your life my name is jonathan devine i'm joined as always by mike overstreet i picked the wrong day to stop doing crack john are you gonna or is this just how long how many times are you gonna throw it in there it's been twice so and we've been recording three and a half minutes different kinds of drugs in the world john. <sighs> as you have hopefully picked up on we are I discussing the wrong this week day to stop interrupting Seriously? john in the podcast i'm trying to get through the i'm john. just trying to get through the intro mike <laughs> We're discussing 1980s Airplane, the the king, the absolute king of spoof comedies. The Lord spoof of Lords mean anything without this movie, Mike? Like, oh, I just want to get right into it. Like, no, I mean, is there anything else that even touches, that even approaches, that's even in the same conversation of spoof comedy as this movie? No, no, and I mean, no. I don't want to step on future conversations, but you got Leslie Nielsen. And you have the best version of a parody movie, and you're gonna get the god of lords of lords of whatever of all spoof comedies, and that's what it is. You're gonna get that. That is what it is. You say Leslie Nielsen. I just wanna. I'm, I'm gonna preview a little bit of where we're going, and just say you also have Robert Stack, who mm. I think I will make the argument in the course of this episode should have been as venerated for his role as the great Mr. Nielsen. But you know what? We'll get to that. We'll get there. Uh, I seriously don't know how to, how to like introduce people to this movie. It is a, oh, well, I do have a way as a matter of fact, this is a 1980 spoof once again of like kind of the classic sort of airplane. This was a genre that was sort of a big deal and then definitely faded away possibly, or maybe even probably because of this exact movie <laughs> at any rate. Um, it was a common kind of storyline. Like there was a lot of, there was a whole airport series of movies, but basically there's some like disaster that befalls a plane and you get into this high stress situation and have to figure things out. The fun thing about this movie to note is that it is a spoof. It's actually, well, while many people associate it with the airport movies, um, there's actually a very little known film called Zero Hour Yeah. Uh, that the makers of the film dis actually 
had seen and, and decided to make the movie off of a spoof off of. And they initially, from what I gather, had like spoofed it so closely that they actually got really nervous about the like, copyright law and convinced Paramount to just buy the rights to that movie. <laughs> the extent of this can be revealed in the fact that my little intro on our on the intro to this show was word for word almost. There's one thing I had to change, but besides one thing was word for word the description of zero hour not airplane. Whoa! That is <laughs> that's the that's the direction. That's how it says. So the only things I had to change in air in zero hour striker also has a sun. Um and so it was like you know it says something about uh, laid in the sun. And then also the two names were changed. That it wasn't Captain McCroskey and it wasn't Elaine, it was Ellen. Besides those two things, I did not change anything about any of those uh any of that description. That's wonderful. From Zero Hour. That's amazing. Which again is a different movie, but this movie just <laughs> actually goes straight is just exactly the same story. Uh, but in every other way is different. So, so you know, once again, we haven't really said what it is. It's just a spoof movie of that with that is that is so burdened with jokes that range from the most bizarre and surreal and slapstick to frankly very clever wordplay and yeah. Yeah. just everything in between. And it is zany and is weird, and everyone loves it. I I, I think so. Right? This is one of those hundred percent approval movies. It's got to be. If it like, I think everyone's pretty much it's in. It's because you suck. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my take for today. Very sophisticated, <laughs> very sophisticated commentary this from is this film. Highbrow film review coming. Highbrow film criticism over here. That's what you guys come to this podcast for. Um, you know, we talk about our history with the movie. I think this is this is one. This one is a story that we often re- re- return to on this show, which is just that. I, I think I've just always watched and known this movie. This yeah. was one of the very earliest movies I remember. Uh, I remember watching this with my dad. Yep. And well, I was about there's to say, definitely scenes that this were is like, a, this is an always been there movie and your dad was involved. That is like a hundred and ten. This is a very big, like, like for me, it was like my dad loved this movie and I would think my mom maybe got it in the same way, but you know, <laughs> we, we definitely watched it as a family a couple times. Um, or many times I should say there there are a couple moments that, uh, were a little tough or or just like awkward. Like it's definitely in that realm as well. It's not too bad because mostly they're very quick. Yeah. Um, but this was a classic like family movie straight up, which is really weird given again, some of the bits in it, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just always been there. I return to it periodically because when you need, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, when you need something of truly no substance, and and I mean that positively, <laughs> way, yeah. I mean that in the absolute best way. But you know, like like because other even silly comedies will try to shoehorn in like something meaningful. There is nothing in this movie that is trying to be meaningful in any way, and I sincerely love it for that. That is my favorite quality about this movie, maybe. Yes, sir. So it's great. It's great to put on for that. It's great to yes, put on sir. when you want something unbelievably dumb uh mike what's your what's your history with the movie well i was in my my first graduate level film review class and uh we we put this on for intense study and mm. no i was my dad i don't remember when i first saw it <laughs> um it's like 110 it was in the student it was in the student theater we had some some comments some, from the writers afterwards it was a yeah really- yeah, and I remember it ended and I said, I picked the wrong day to quit doing LSD, John. 
I'm trying to even know you then. Proceeded to to kick you. Yeah, it was weird, (laughs) weird. and they kicked you out of the of the class. Uh, It was was a weird time. (laughs) But no, yeah, I mean, this is definitely like a a summer or a rainy day or homesick, and your dad's gonna throw it on. Definitely do not remember the first time we watched it. It was one of his favorites. I remember this. It was probably not the first spoof movie I saw, but there was definitely a stretch in this '90s range when I was like, you know. 9, 10, 11, where every time we went to Blockbuster, you know, my brother, my dad, and I, we were coming home with a Mel Brooks movie. We were coming home with a Leslie Nielsen movie, you know, Naked yeah. Gun, Young Frankenstein, Airplane. It didn't matter what. It was going to be some sort of spoof movie with a whole bunch of physical kind of um, sight gags and, and quick comedy, quick wit. And this is the king. We already talked about this. This is the king of them all. So that's yeah. that's my history with it is uh, I love it. And again, if you don't, it's because you, you're you're worthless. You're not a human. You're a, uh, a a more a beast than a man. Tough words from Pastor Mike there, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we'll just we'll just blow past that, I guess. Um, who, who doesn't love a well-timed abortion joke, Don, John? That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, that's all that's all we've been saying this whole time. We've been upfront about that. You know, I will say you just reminded me that Young Frankenstein is a spoof movie, and so I'm gonna have to make a little room. I'm gonna say there's a co, there's like a a co leadership of the top yeah, of the goat position. Yeah. It's uh, not, maybe we should just, maybe there's just a Mount Rushmore, right? Naked not, Gun, Young Frankenstein. This as, um, it's not as meaningless as like Naked Gun and this are. I could it's, agree with that. It has something to say about literature paced, and stories and stuff. And, yes, hundred percent. Um, yeah, like I, I, I rarely get through all of Young Frankenstein. I never have not gotten through all of Airplane. Yeah, well, which we'll like, talk about. It's like but, 80 minutes yeah. long. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's part of it. But uh, but yeah, I think, but but you're also oh, right. Robin and Men in Tights? Come on, man. Oh, What a God, time to be there. alive. What a time, man. Uh, you know, and like, I think this fits in the history section. It's worth noting that like the spoof movie did kind of die. And oh, I, yeah, I don't know yeah. exactly why. I Scary I movie. Mean, I, I, one I was going to say, like, 18. the answer is obviously scary. But even then, <laughs> Scary Movie 1 through 4 were both very, very successful and I think pretty funny. I'm actually going to go to bat for Scary Movie yeah, 3, but like, they, unironically. That's like the um, corporatization of the genre that always precedes. I think that's a good point. It's, yeah. it's end. You know what I mean? So that was a little too and and, and yeah, i'm also like, like forgetting for good reason like that there was a, a few like huge flops i think there yeah. was like like disaster superhero movie, movie was there right? oh that yeah. was it yeah yeah, yeah. There and, was like that. and we were just kind of like ah, we're done it's over yep. you know so <laughs> also like i think america just became like a less funny place to lampoon yeah like yeah, straight yeah. up like like yeah. humor if you think about the way comedies developed it's like it became, I think, like the way humor also developed. It just became like I, I, you know, irony, but also like even even sincere humor like can't get away with not noting like the the situation of the world is almost like how yeah. I would say it, right? So it's yes. like a movie like this that just has again no meaning whatsoever. I just don't think people are maybe I as interested in. Or, I also don't think it's making it out of like a pitch meeting. It's like, what does sure. this have to say? How is it going to make money? And they're like, ah, nothing. It won't. <laughs> Literally nothing. This is, this is, this this movie has nothing to it. Is yeah. is a thing of of no substance, but not a thing of no craftsmanship, which I Ooh. think is a great Ooh. segue into. <laughs> Do you like that? That was there's kind of a moment there, huh? Yeah. Um, 
into what makes this movie work. So we divide the podcast. We're going to start by talking about things we like about the movie, what makes it work. We're going to talk about uh, what maybe doesn't work in the movie, what holds it back. We'll have some stray thoughts, and then much later we'll have uh, some essays that we have each prepared. Uh, But first, uh, we do talk about why this movie works. As I just hinted, I think one of the biggest things to note, uh, because it is a very silly movie, and there might be a degree to which it's like, how can you talk about this? Uh, which I mean is fair. Maybe that's the problem of this whole podcast, but but <laughs> I do. But like again, like it's really it's really worth knowing. Like like for me on this rewatch, I couldn't get over. I kept noticing all of these little things that that I I kept thinking, wow, someone really thought about that. Like like there was a lot of intentionality and again yeah. craftsmanship in in the construction of this movie. Um, and like along that line of thinking, I think. The first thing I noticed, Mike, and, and, you know, we'll just maybe go back and forth here. I think we'll both have a few different things. But the first thing I noticed, and I I hinted at it already with talking about Young Frankenstein, this is an exceptionally well-paced movie. And I really mean exceptionally. Yeah. Yeah, I think the key thing that I never picked up on before um, was the way that the movie escalates as it goes on, right? So... I think like if you think about the way that the movie is like, you know, it's it's a million jokes, it's a million gags, it's all these zany situations and weird characters and surreal moments. I always in my head had kind of imagined that the movie just was at that speed the entire time, was just running it at 100% from the first moment to the last moment. On the rewatch, I, I really paid attention and noticed that there's there's like i said there's an escalating quality to everything right there's a one upsmanship to everything like the last 30 minutes the jokes are noticeably weirder and wilder and more like 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 committing to more crazy things like like you know leslie nielsen jumping into the cockpit to say i want to let you know both know good luck we're all counting (laughs) on you like doing that like 50 times or whatever stuff like that you know, it's just like they're it's just stepping up itself as you go into the movie, which like even as a, someone who has seen this movie a lot, that makes me more inclined to always watch the whole thing because like I'll be watching it and then I'll realize, oh, man, this amazing bit is coming up. And that's like so funny. Like, I think the movie gets funnier as it goes. Yeah. Which, again, is like difficult. Like, I actually think if you think about it, almost every comedy has the reverse problem where they spend their funny energy at the beginning. And by the end, you're like, okay, now I just want to get through this. Um, it does that with the jokes. I also want to mention, it does this really clever thing. I noticed of, of continually, like almost drip feeding more, uh, uh, eccentric characters as the movie goes sure. on. Right. Yeah. So you start with your core of like Ted striker Elaine, who are actually kind of the most boring characters of the movie. Like I enjoy them, but they're kind of the most straight characters. And then you and then you get like Captain Over, right? And then you get obviously uh, the Doctor Leslie Nielsen. And then you get and these are all about twenty or thirty minutes apart from each other. Then you get Captain McCroskey on the on the ground. Then you get Rex Kramer, who we're gonna get to because he's my favorite character in this whole movie. <laughs> then you get the the you know you see what I'm saying? That's like yeah. we just keep like, but it's consistently every twenty or thirty minutes. So right when you're kind of maybe checking out or maybe a little bored. Let's throw in this new character who's going to be even weirder and, and say even even dumber things. I just think that that something like that doesn't happen by accident is what I'm trying no, to say. Like no. there's a there's a true like cleverness to to that construction and it makes the movie so rewatchable. It's it's absurd. Yeah. Um, do you have anything on that on pacing in general, the the structure that keeps you watching 
Well, um, I mean, do it's you agree, like, by the way, that you keep watch, like it's hard to not rewatch the whole movie when you watch it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is the definition of uh, of a bit movie. I mean, there's just always a yeah. bit around the corner that you remember, and there may only be ten that you remember. But they're, you're right. It's like every 10 minutes, you know, you're five minutes away from whatever. Oh, the scene where they're going to talk jive. Oh, the scene where they're going to go to the African village and there's going to be a basketball thing. Oh, you know, the drinking problem bit is about to start. Um, Like, that's just like, it just has this way of returning to both through the repetition of some really funny bits, but then also just like these high power that they know they had something gold that they are like you said gonna feed you every so often so you're just like sucked in and it helps that it's 80 minutes it helps that um there's probably more like the movie's joke to minute ratio is probably higher than any movie ever made so like i can't i seriously can't imagine the movie coming it's absolutely breakneck so like why would you stop um and then, like, in terms of structure... Like, like, and actually, real quick, just to yeah. jump in on that. Like, I have seen this movie ca- truly countless number of times. And on this most recent rewatch, I noticed that Ted Stryker is wearing a Navy uniform yeah. in the bar, despite the fact that he's in the Air Force. So, like, he's, there's just so many jokes. And they, like, you will, I don't think anyone has cataloged, like, all of them. I don't know well, if Well, no, possible. no. Well, and that's, like, what I was going to say about structure is, like, what always blows my mind and what really um, amazed me on this rewatch is that, like, in every single scene, there's, like, five bits going on. There is what's being yeah. said how it's being said, how someone else is responding to what's being said. And then there's usually something going on in the back workaround that is totally unrelated yeah. to what's being said. And it all works together. And it just will. And, and it's doing that every five seconds, because every time yeah. the camera changes, all five of those layers or whatever are going on in a new way. And that's crazy. I mean, that just takes you can't just like dick around and make that successful. Yeah. There's so many ways for that not to be interesting. And I also just to tag on a little bit to what you said about the the progression and the acceleration of the movie i also really noticed this time and loved that like the physical comedy picks up as the movie accelerates like yeah the stuff like the drinking problem stuff starts coming in as the plot is speeding up right and suddenly people Mm. are throwing water on their face they're doing stuff with their bodies in very different ways than you know kind of like the the witty one-liners that had comprised most of the film that's just really smart. I mean, that's just a way yeah. to to imbue the audience with a sense of of pace, and that's super cool. It also works. It's also a really nice thing for like making the movie accessible for anyone of any age, right? Yeah. Because I oh, think dude. like like you think about us as young people, and and like, hey, I've curiosity. What age? What age are you, is Adi gonna gonna jump in on this? No, by the too way? young. Too young still. That, that She's is, not going to sit there for. That is the, the thing. The I first... never would have said this is one of the films my dad showed me too young until this rewatch. And then like the abortion <laughs> conversation, I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> I love. I there's all yeah. There's a couple moments like that's a good point. It's a good point. But it's having but said that, I'm going to show it to much really like, Yeah, obviously, like you you have to keep up the tradition at that point. Yeah. Um, but like I there's definitely a sense where I think like as your attention drains, especially as a kid, as your attention drains, like we said, it gets more slapstick. It gets more uh, physical. It gets more, more uh, surreal with its humor. And yeah, there's just a, all of this just, just sucks you in. This movie is really rewatchable. Absolutely. Um, I actually want to Mike 
because I, you know, I, I said there that we we keep introducing these characters. So I want to talk a little bit about the characters in the cast because they are exceptional. Um, this is pretty well known, so I'm just going to mention it as like this could be a stray thought. But I'm just going to mention it here. Talking about the characters and things in the movie, uh, you know, and actually I didn't mention at the beginning. This was written and directed by the uh, Zucker brothers, David and Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrahams, uh, all of their directorial debuts. Um, but, you know, probably I, I would say maybe the single best decision that they made possibly for the whole movie was casting dramatic actors rather than uh, comedic comedy actors. Do you do you know about this whole kind of situation, Mike? Yeah. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Right. It was one yeah, of my that, that they, Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, the studio wanted them to cast like obviously like comedic people. But when they were approaching the script, they said we wanted it to be all like basically people reading the lines as straight as possible, where the joke Brilliant. wasn't necessarily that it was, you know, someone playing this up as a joke, but someone just essentially deadpanning this. And I cannot stress enough how smart that decision was. Yeah. Obviously, you get Leslie Nielsen. So let's just do the Leslie Nielsen bit. I mean, the guy literally got a worldwide career like like he's you know and rest in peace he died he died relatively recently but um you know from this one movie he then had an incredibly successful string of comedies most of which i think are still hold up because his his strange timing and delivery which is so on point in this movie uh was just is just incredible it's just so funny this character doc what's his name doctor did they ever say yeah i think doctor it's just, he is Rum a doctor rumick rumick okay dr rubick i did not remember that but um but like stuff like that so so again he was just a serious dramatic actor he had been wanting to get into comedy uh but then you get him in this movie and technically he is just playing these lines straight but it's so perfect um so i don't know mike starting with leslie nielsen talking about the cast talking about the way these people are are performing because they're not comedy actors. Almost everyone in this movie was a dramatic actor who played the kinds of roles that the parody version or the not parody version of this would be. Uh, but it works so well and they are exhibiting incredible abilities. Again, you know, Leslie Nielsen's the obvious one, but, um, but what do you got talking about maybe him or, you know, whatever other cast member you would like to like to uh, shout out. Yeah, I setting think, aside Rex Kramer because I'm gonna have a big Rex Kramer. Okay, okay. I think Nielsen is is the best example of what you're saying, which is, it's like what movie do you think you are? But he he obviously knows what movie he's in, but it seems like he's in the wrong movie. He's reading it yeah. straight. He's deathly <laughs> serious. He's saying the most absurd things, um, and it's it's wonderful. And to even build upon the casting decision, a number of these actors were in the movies that this movie is parodying. So they're like yeah. <laughs> making fun of themselves. And that's just, it's just brilliant because if you're trying to create a B-movie vibe to make this absurdity take place in, like if that's a shell, it makes sense to go get a bunch of B-movie actors who at one point in their lives made this movie seriously and are now able to almost poke fun at themselves or at least pull into that bag of tricks that they used in, in a serious, attempting to be serious movie to make something insane and that that's i yeah. think like you said leslie nielsen is the perfect example of that it is hard to remember that this dude was like a leading man in dramas yeah. and yet those are the skills that make him hilarious in this movie um i think you could say the same 
for a lot of people that you're going to see over the course of the movie. I mean, I think Lloyd Bridges as Steve McCreskey is the MVP of this movie. Again, I'll say think- it one more time. <laughs> I picked the wrong week to quit drinking, John. Because the he Holy is Trinity, yeah, yeah, so good in this movie. He's and it, the way that he unravels as a human being while never losing that like again dry delivery yeah, is stoic, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, It's 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 so uh, it's so charming. I, I think like there's a it, it. I almost feel bad. So like obviously I love Leslie Nielsen, right? Yeah. But, I don't know if you feel the sentiment, Mike, but like on the most recent rewatch, and actually, if I'm honest, the last few times I've watched this movie, you know, partially it's just that his joke, like Nielsen's stuff was, is very overplayed. Like I've, I don't think I've laughed at the Shirley line in, uh, you know, a decade as funny as it is. It's just like all of that stuff became too like assimilated sure. almost. Sure. Uh, so maybe it's that effect, but I think him McCroskey and Kraber are a holy so trinity good. at the center of this movie of like stoic guys playing these parts that are like so ridiculous it's saying yeah. the most ludicrous things but doing it with just the straightest face possible and they land every single moment i think mccroskey and kraber make up most of my like you know best moments of the movie yeah and Again, they just bring a gravitas at a, I don't know what it is, to those roles that just are so perfect. I keep hinting at it, so I don't really have that much to say anymore. We've kind of covered it. Rex Kramer is my favorite comedy character in maybe any movie ever. Sure. Because from the moment he's introduced, like like him and McCroskey to a degree, but from the moment he's introduced, every word he says is a bit. Yeah. He doesn't get through any line that's not, like even something like when he's talking about the when they're talking seriously, McCroskey and him about landing the plane and he's saying there with the sunglasses and he's giving this intense, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure about this. And then, you know, he's got this line feeding back from McCroskey and he takes off the sunglasses to reveal a second pair of sunglasses <laughs> as he continues delivering the intense line. And then finally takes off the third stuff like that. Like every, so I can't stress enough. Every single thing that he does in this movie um, including my favorite jokes, but I think we're saving those, right, Mike? Yeah, we don't want we'll to get save into- those okay, for so a we're second. Sa- we're saving. Yeah. We'll save my favorite ones for just. We'll a second, unleash but- the kraken later. Well, it'll be, it'll be a great moment. Um, but yeah, I, I I think if you walk away from with anything, or if you walk away from this movie with anything, it's it's how funny it is having those people playing their roles again essentially straight you know in the captain over same thing peter graves yeah, i think yeah, that yeah, is yeah. And, he, and, and he might have like the best hit ratio i don't sure. know like well, almost uh, everything uh, he best says, usage rate i would say right because he's saying, not yeah, in very yeah. much of the movie yeah, yeah yeah but like the johnny do you like gladiator movies is like it's just it's so, awesome it's so funny it's so ridiculous it's so <laughs> Oh my god. Do you know uh by the way, another little piece of trivia, he didn't want to do the bit. He didn't he hated that part of the character. First of all, his family talked him into the movie because they all said it was so funny after reading the script. He didn't like that part of the character though and wouldn't do it. Uh the directors told him that will be explained away in another part of the movie that you're not in, which of course doesn't happen. 
So then you, you just have are that stepping on all of my straight thoughts. I'm so yeah, sorry, dude, but there's too many fun things to say about this movie. It's so funny. It's just like, oh. <laughs> so the line that you're talking about is the, have you ever seen a grown man naked? And he was naked, like, yeah. I am morally uncomfortable with this line. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll explain it away. And then they It'll did a, it. It's so you funny. You do have to wonder, what did he imagine the explanation I know, right? <laughs> like I there's no know. way to explain it away so in a way it's almost on him is what i'm gonna say he should have oh, seen this one coming i'll be honest i love me i, I love robert hayes possibly just because i liked homeward bound as a kid like i'll sure. be honest sure, I didn't. Sure, sure. but like i don't think anyone else in this movie stands out no. it's a tough beat uh I, I you know what not true let's shout out kareem abdul jabbar oh yeah um, my man <laughs> My man, in what is, uh, you know, not to step on, I have my own um, straight thought about this one later, but apparently uh, he, he like, it's just such a weird role for him because this is not, like, his persona, he is not actually a very jovial person, certainly no. not at the time. He is historically so it's so weird not that jovial. <laughs> he's so, yeah, and it's like, what is he doing in this movie? I don't know. I don't know. I probably should have looked that up. I looked up other things that we'll get to later. Uh, but he is very funny, and the moment when he when he breaks character, can um, we cut actually, that? Like, can we just cut that? Yeah, into we're just gonna right cut now. that in here. Yeah. Wait a minute! I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. You are Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, but just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, kid, I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court for 48 minutes. So, what, Mike, what, honestly, <laughs> just the moment of the kid saying, hey, you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and him looking uncomfortable, from that moment, it's a great bit. It's yeah. one of the best in the whole when movie. When it makes the turn of listen, kid, it's like <laughs> the funniest thing the hell I've I don't. ever heard. And then he looks around, you try dragging Walton up and down the court for 48 minutes. <laughs> as a basketball uh, junkie, then, even as a kid, I adored that entire monologue. <laughs> it was so And I'll funny. tell you, as someone who didn't follow basketball at all until the last few years, watching it now and knowing that that's all real like every yeah. every part yeah. of the line could have been said by kareem abdul jabbar even like i've been hearing that since i was at ucla i'm out yeah. here and you're just like man this is amazing even love, even when i don't you know get, why this is in this movie well it's like even when you get into how he was treated as like a black athlete at the time um hmm. 
and things like laziness being thrown at him while people like Walton, you know, white or white athletes were not had this did not have the same criticism levied against them. There's actually like a lot going on in that movie. There's like, so it's, it's so... a real engagement of his career and the unfairness <laughs> of which one of the greatest players of all time was treated by white people. But anyway, it's just like wonderful. It's in the middle of it's this movie. It's such a great magical little moment, and he's and and that's just it. He's just in the movie, and then. For like what a cool 10 20 minutes and he's out yeah dude oh and, so and good i honestly I, might be more do you think he sticks in like the general public consciousness more for this than basketball i think uh, he must because I certainly you're gonna i know i know i know i know i know i know but mike you're gonna come at this with the perspective of someone who loves basketball and i'm just gonna tell you i think if i queried 100 people on the street of, of or not even the street just a hundred people in the you know in the world like a lot of them would know him from this movie and not at all and and like know that he's a basketball player but not actually think of him as that first it's just it's just like hard because of the showtime lakers and the cultural phenomenon that uh, was okay like if we're gonna and magic yeah. johnson yeah i mean it's just yeah. like it's because of the team he was on i think if he was any other like you know hall of famer from that era other than like larry bird it, you probably I mean, have a good case. You probably he's have arguably a good case. the just, just to be clear, I get it. He's arguably the like the the you know some people would say he's the greatest by certain numbers. I don't know if many people would really make that point. He's still the what I think he's still the he's highest still the points, points leader, earner yeah. ever. He's still got some you know one of the highest rings earner. He's still you know has I think the record for MVP. Like I get it. Uh, by the way, welcome to the basketball podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, basketball could be your life. Yeah. Uh, all that being said, you know, he's an incredible part of this movie. Are there literally any other character actors I, I in this movie you want to talk about? Want to shout out Ju- mm. Julie Haggerty. Not because okay. I think I'm she does a great job, but I think she does the job that she's asked to do, which is sure. read her lines with the most sincerity of a B movie actor yeah. ever. And it's I think wide, she does that. Wide-eyed kind yeah. of dope. like it's a ridiculous character, but like it, those movies had that kind of ridiculous 100%. character, and I think like it it sells so much of the comedy. Just like we were saying with the other with with you know those those other three guys, it sells so much of the comedy that she's playing it as sincere as possible. That when they're on the when they're on the beach, giving that truly nauseating dialogue, yeah, yeah about yeah. um, and then of course they get washed over with seaweed and it looks disgusting, <laughs> like. That lands because they are both playing it again as absolutely straight as possible. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I- I'm there for all of that. Uh, Mike, I'll throw it to you. What what do you want to talk about for? I what mean, works I think for this movie at this point we just need to run through bits because we're they're leaking out of us in every yeah. direction, John, and it's time. It's just time. Okay, Mike. So I think the way we're gonna do this is we each have five key moments. That we want to trade like like you know let, let's call it the cream of the crop for for at least for me and you and also yeah. let's preface this with humor is subjective so whatever um Not and right. then maybe we'll have a couple <laughs> these these are objectively the best bits of the movie though you're wrong yeah. if you disagree yeah um, a bad person and then after that yeah, yeah yeah after that if we have some you know something on the cutting room floor who cares we can we can uh cite it sounds good yep that sounds good okay well i'm gonna point I'm going to lead off with my favorite joke in the movie um, and also a, a little bit of a, a foreshadowing because this is, once again, a Rex Kramer appreciations uh, space. <laughs> um, 
Rex Kramer is in the car driving to the airport when he says, Now we can't do that. The risk of a flame out is too great. Keep him at 24,000. No, feet. So <laughs> I have my entire life. This is one of those things. I can't talk enough about how amazing this joke is. Because first of all, there's a there's almost like a Jaws quality in that like what the fact that you don't know the fact that my entire life I will never know what what the twenty four thousand was <laughs> that wasn't feet and anything my brain comes up with is funnier than because there's I just love every single part about that joke and especially the little pause he does and that's where you know the actor had comedic chops by the way just to yeah note. like the way that he does that. He went at 24,000 and then just, he just takes the best little beat and says, no, feet. And again, you're just sitting there the whole time like, what the, what on earth could have possibly been that was misinterpreted? That's actually my favorite joke of the movie. I love it. Mike, what do you got? Well, uh, John, it should come as no surprise that my favorite yep. joke of the movie that I literally say all of the time in real life is every do, time. Actually. Steve McCrowski says. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. I just, uh, I just love it. I just think it's the funniest thing on earth. I love that. It's they, great how applicable go, it is in life too. Cause yeah. you really do say this all the time and it always kind of works. Dude. And it's so great. Cause they, they, you could tell they intentionally in this movie don't do it like one too many times. If you are trying yeah. to make like traditional comedy, like it should not work whatever the fifth time that he does it. And it does. And that's why it works in real life is that it's just like, you can overdo this joke and it's always funny. I don't know why. Like, well, and, so and it gets good. to like that thing we were talking about earlier with pacing too, where like, you know, it, it's tough to remember the first time you watch this movie, but the first time he does the line, it's not technically a joke. Like that's no, just it's something just, that a character a, would say. A in disaster this movie. movie, yeah. Um, the second time you start, like you're like, okay, this is funny, and I get it. But the but then when we return for that third, I think it's sniffing four, glue, four, five, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the time you get there, you're like, this is the best thing. This is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, my second favorite joke is what I what I term to actually technically be the dumbest gag in the whole movie. Mm. Um, but it is uh, it's again a Rex Kramer classic. Two more minutes. They could be miles, of course. That's impossible. They're on instruments. <laughs> so <laughs> I cannot so first of all, like not for nothing, as a kid, that joke slayed me. I cannot yeah. stress enough yeah. that like I could not pull myself together after that. And even as an adult, like I again, that is possibly the dumbest gag in the whole movie. It is the lowest hanging fruit there is, but it, they're so sold out to it. The fact that we cut back to the cockpit and it's somehow all of the characters including the doctor including the the both of the stewardesses are all playing again big band music for some reason 
it's just so out there and it's such a stupid thing to do and i love it with all of my heart it's a perfect yeah. moment in a movie i will i will trade you that for my next one which is also yeah. low-hanging fruit but it's the multiple times where someone explains an obvious well-known thing so for example you'd better tell the captain we've got to land as soon as we can this woman has to be gotten to a hospital a hospital what is it it's a big building with patients but that's not important right now Tell the captain I must speak to him. Certainly. Excuse me, sir. There's been a little problem in the cockpit. The cockpit? What is it? It's the little room in the front of the plane where the pilots sit. That's not important right now. You see, the first officer is ill, and the captain needs someone to help him with the radio. Yeah, then they go on to do that with, like, an airplane, right? And Johnny says, oh, it's a big, pretty white plane with red stripes, curtains at the windows, wheels. They were and it looks like a big a Tylenol, yeah. And it gets, as a child, that got me literally every single time. Like, yeah, it was so, every time. What is it? It's such low-hanging fruit, but it's so funny. It's always there. And you know what? It's low-hanging fruit, but there's a little bit of cleverness in the wordplay because there actually is some ambiguity if you, t- like... There yeah, isn't because yeah. we all understand context. But if you imagine a world where there's no context in the English language, it's like, yeah, there is technically ambiguity. What do you say? What is it? So the fact that they just they keep returning to that every time and it always lands. Um, I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully you're picking up on the theme here. Rex Kramer. Oh, my God. Maybe we ought to turn on the searchlights now. Oh. It's just what they'll be expecting us to do. <laughs> that is, and with the music coming in, the little like like Zadie like like or, or uh, like like almost war movie esque like paranoia music coming in. I have used that so many. Basically, anytime someone tells me like, "Why aren't you doing this obvious thing?" Like, "Hey, why didn't? Why are we like doing this for them?" I just always instantly. It's in my blood at this point to just say. That's just what they'll be expecting us to do. <laughs> I love that line. It's perfect. It makes no sense. Uh, oh, man. I love everything about it. Yeah. Um, my, my. Oh, man. I don't even know if we cut this a John, but my next one is definitely the back and forth parking lot announcer pit. <laughs> the red zone is for immediate loading and unloading of passengers only. There's no stopping in the white zone. No, the white zone is for loading and unloading, and there is no stopping in the red zone. The red zone has always been for loading and unloading. There's never stopping in a white zone. Don't tell me which zone is for stopping and which zone is for loading. Listen, Betty, don't start up with your white zone shit again. <laughs> that, and that comes real quick. It's that right after the Jaws quick. thing. It's, it's like the very first scene. <laughs> It's so, so funny. And it's yeah. I love everything about that. Oh my god. Mike, we're at what is technically my last five or my fifth of our top five, but I'm pretty sure I'll have a couple on the cutting room floor to, to hit. Uh but uh the the last joke I have is again very silly and very stupid. And we cannot stress enough there are a billion jokes in this movie. But I just want to note that when they cut I'm not, I can't cut this one in, Mike, because it's a visual gag, but yeah. when they cut to the Mayo Clinic and <laughs> on the walls are just rows and rows of Hellman's mayonnaise, and it's it's just, and they don't address it, they, they never, it never comes up, 
But that joke is just sitting there for you. And and here's the other reason I'm bringing this up in my top five, because the Mayo Clinic is a real place that does real things that is, is, is actually like a really cool thing, organization, right? But for my entire life and probably for the rest of my life, when I hear the Mayo Clinic, the first thing I think of is that office with a bunch of mayonnaise on the wall uh, for no reason. And I love everything about that. And it's it's one of my favorite jokes in this entire movie. So I have four Rex Kramer jokes and then the Mayo Clinic having jars of mayonnaise. Uh, this is a perfect movie is what I'm realizing as I say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a perfect movie. I, I don't understand. Like, I, I just love that. I love that so much. Um, also, I'm going to sneak one in there because it's related to the Mayo Clinic, but just the fact that Captain Over says, Excuse me, this is the operator, Captain Over. I have an emergency call for you on line five from a Mr. Ham. All right, give me Ham on five. Hold the mail. So, yeah, that moment. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, what do you man. Got? My last main one is, uh, it has to be. I mean, it just has to be. This is This is like going to both be in my top five and potentially in my what doesn't work anymore because it's probably racist, say, yeah. but it's the excuse me, stewardess, I speak jive. I mean, it is yeah. like <laughs> such a classic line. The old lady delivering it is brilliant. I have something in my stray thoughts about how the lines were written because they were actually written by those two actors. We'll come up with that in a second. Uh, but it's great. Also, it's do, you, great. Did, do you know who the old lady is? Do you know who the old lady is? No, no. She's the mom from Leave It to Beaver. Oh, so good. <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot. I'll, I'll look up the actress's name real quick. But yeah, that's the mom from Leave It to Beaver, which again makes this just a just a, a great moment, a beautiful moment. I, I'm with you. That's a great moment. I, I have no I have no problems with any of that. Um, I think that's our top five. Let's go ahead, Mike, though. We, we've got to have more like we I know yeah. we both do. Yeah, um, I'm going to call out. <laughs> I know I'm I know I'm on on brand here, but I was just really, really responding to something in this character when I rewatched this movie. <laughs> when Rex Graber is first talking on the radio to Stryker, and Stryker says that he's never he's never flown anything multi-engine. <laughs> and while still on the radio, Rex Graber says Stand by, Stryker. My one hope is to build this man up and give him all the confidence I can. Stryker? You ever flown a motor engine plane before? No, never. Shit. This is a goddamn waste of time. There's no way you can land this plane. Have all yourself. You gotta talk him down. You gotta. Route him into Lake Michigan. At least he'll avoid killing innocent people. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he's uh, he goes so zero to a hundred there. And then, of course, there's the extra gag of the fact that they could hear him. Yeah. But frankly, it doesn't need that. Like, like no, to me, the joke so is good. just the way he delivers that line <laughs> so and how utterly hopeless he sounds after, again, 0. 0.0 seconds of of like trying to buck this person up. I, I, I love I love that. I love that so much. It's so good. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to throw out like three sight gags that yeah, hit me. get me every time. And these obviously can't get cut in. But Stryker's drinking problem is hilarious like do they just keep returning to that well um the kid with the heart problem dying for like a solid minute after right <laughs> is knocked out by the guitar like five times is so funny and everyone being total like totally oblivious because they're just in on the song singing the I song man and then i do as a basketball fan again i don't know if this is good or <laughs> right or yeah. just or fair but the effort when he's like i'm teaching them to play basketball 
basketball and they're immediately start like alley-oop dunking and stuff it's just like a really I, funny sight gag it's just like and watching him, actually, him awkwardly yeah. respond and just like yep. slowly fade away from the court it's just really funny I, I was gonna call that out where I was gonna say his response is kind of what sells the joke to me that as yeah. soon as they like do something incredible he claps and says okay and then walks away <laughs> and it's like yeah, you're right. I also I I kind of had it in my like yeah, what I doesn't I work think question mark because I was like, is that is that cool? But it is it's a great psych act. Yeah. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Um uh speaking of like weird what off psych gags, boy trapped in a refrigerator eats own foot gets me every time. <laughs> uh, again, the idea that that would be on the front page of a of a late edition paper makes no sense. I love yeah. every single thing about it. Yeah, I also love that the papers are printing in the middle of the night while this is going on. Yeah, that and that there's reporters running to to the thing for again this whole thing happening in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Great, great, great striker line. Nervous? Yes. First time? No, I've been nervous lots of times. That one you can also you can also bring out a lot in your life too. Like anytime yeah. someone hits you with first time, you could always. No, I've been, I felt like this lots of times. It's great. Always lands. Um, I think this is my last one. Is this my last one? Yeah, this is my last one. I ha- I mean, like, I, I could literally sit here and recount every single joke in the movie. Yeah. Um, I just have one more, though. And uh, it's no, it's not a real surprise who it's coming from, but uh, <laughs> Rex Kraber on the radio at the end oh of the movie. Oh, my God, Jack. <laughs> has this moment. Loneliness. That's the bottom line. I was never happy as a child. Christmas, Ted, what does that mean to you? I mean, it was a living hell. You know, it's like to fall in the mud and get kicked in the head by an iron boot. Of course you don't. No one does. That never happens. Sorry, Ted, it's a dumb question. Skip that. <laughs> I think it's just the way that, like, because that, char- that, that scene, and that part is true parody, because that character does always have to give, like, this you know, emotionally resonant little send off at the end of the movie. But the fact that he, he goes too far, but then the character recognizes that he goes too far and has to back it up. I, I'm pretty sure that's his last line in the movie. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm, I, I truly appreciate it. Um, actually, wait, I do have one more sight gag, but why don't you go first, Mike? What do you got? I got one last one, and this is yep. just like a shout out to a ridiculously good piece of screenwriting. Flight 209er, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Huh? LA departure frequency 123.9er. Roger. Huh? Request vector. Over. What? Flight 209er, clear for vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? That is legitimately it's just great writing. That it's is Oscar Wilde. Like that yeah. is the importance of being earnest. That is whatever you want. Like, <laughs> we're, like we're there. We did it. It's that amazing. Is, I, I think about that joke seriously, like at least once a month. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Like again, as a kid, I could not, I, I, I was over the moon at what was happening that they landed that line. Um, my last one it really shouldn't be the last one because it's not in my top maybe 20. But when we do the cliche, go to the wife of the of the captain uh, who gets the phone call that there's a problem with the plane. She wakes up in the middle of the night and then there's someone else in bed with her. 
but she turns on the light and it's a horse, it's a horse. <laughs> just just a full and, it, and it's a full horse in bed with her <laughs> it makes no sense and it's never pointed out and that's just it and we just move on it never comes back in the whole movie and then and the crit and, and, and the the piece de la resistance mike is when she says you can let yourself out through the back and the horse <laughs> neighs and he gets up and leaps <laughs> and it's just like is this what we have reached we have reached peak comedy we have reached the summit of what humor is in my opinion at that, yeah. that moment in this movie it's, it's a beautiful over. thing shut it down it's over uh, mike anything else i think we've we've really we've got it we got him we got him uh, we got him ooh. Mm. Um, I have one last thing to shout out for about the movie yeah. in terms of what worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is, I just want to, I think we did this with Monty Python and the Holy Grail too, which is that I think it's a, people don't give enough credit to when a comedy has a real unified, committed vision. Like mm, this yeah. movie is so deeply committed to its hokiness, its B-movie, its its surrealness, its nonsensical nature, its transgression in both form and substance. And, like, what's unique about it is everybody is on board, right? The mm, actors are yeah, spacing absolutely. themselves. The person who wrote the score composed, like, soundtracks for the Ten Commandments and To Kill a <laughs> Mockingbird, Great Escape. And he's actually the one who was, like, because they originally were going to use, like, an epic score and he was just like, no, we need to make a completely corny, nonsensical score. So this is yeah. like a guy who is an Oscar winning composer being like, no, this doesn't deserve a good score. And it actually is going to make the movie better if we stay committed to that B-movie bit. And that's just awesome. You know, I, I don't really know what else to say about it. But that commitment is what holds the movie together. And it's what lets it turn weaknesses into strengths, whether that's the budget or the mm. dumb effects yeah. or whatever else, is that everyone on board knows what they're doing and they're sold out to doing it. And I don't know. I, I don't really know if that's a category in and of itself, but I feel like I needed to give this TED Talk. So I, I actually totally agree. And you're right. It, it, it's, it's interesting. I didn't think of it, but it is very similar to what we were talking about with Monty Python, right? Yeah. That, that yeah, you need everyone. If if any element is not on the right tone, it would stick out like a sore thumb because it's so strong in its tone, yeah. right? Um, so you're right. That is such a key part of the movie, and it goes through the actors, set designers, prop designers, stunt coordinators, everyone. Right? It's just yeah. it works on every level. Um, yeah, I, I'm there for all of that uh anything else mike what, what what makes this movie work i mean ultimately we're saying it's just incredibly funny uh yeah. and we did it, it. but it, in, but again there's a lot of craftsmanship oh <laughs> <sighs> well, you know can't can't all be winners let's move on um what maybe holds this movie back what what how does this movie maybe not work and it's this is a weird one because there's just not uh, first of all i just don't have that much yeah um, essentially everything i have is like question mark how do we feel about this in 2022 right well yeah um, and, and worse and it's like really key and and i want to well sorry real quick i just want to yeah. note like it's actually astounding that there's so few problematic things yeah. in this movie yeah like this yeah. is 1980 go watch some other comedies from 1980 and it's like you will see some you'll see some not good stuff like yeah. some truly not good stuff and this movie like there's nothing there, there's nothing I, I i don't think that that's like truly bad like there's no, like I, i'm thinking of like the like pretty obvious like like 
sexual harassment things in some other movies. Sure. You think about like like consent stuff. Like in, in I'm thinking of like Animal House has like a really bad stuff. You you just get some stuff that is like that's truly like evil. Like in a lot yeah. of old comedies, yeah. that's just yeah. very affronting to our sense of morality today. There's nothing that crosses the bar that far in this movie. And so I guess the last thing on what works is like, that's, I, that's like really underrated in terms of what makes this a great movie. Sure. Um, Cause it could have easily not been that having said that, I do think we probably both have a couple like, uh, I don't know about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so why don't you go, what do you got? We well, already mentioned uh, the, the whole, the whole Peace Corps at Africa thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's the hard part. This is, you're, on one hand, we're just relitigating old comedy, and I do think, like you said, it's amazing that there's not uh, more problems with it. Um, but 80s comedy, race relations, racial commentary, what is funny, for example, in this, it's like there is the bit where the other guy in the, um, the air tower his entire bit is that he has like a flamboyant accent. Right. Or in this case, yeah. it's that, you know, these black people speak jive and that's the entire bit. And there's yeah. just like a part of that where it's like, Oh, we're really just like making funny at about how different, like these different, these groups of people are. And mm-hmm. I, I don't love that. I don't think that's yeah. great. Um, I, I actually think the Peace Corps thing if you read in the right light is is making fun of some of that like white That's people what I was going suggest. to do That's mission what, work yeah. yeah so i actually yeah. wouldn't throw that other than the stereotype of black people are good at basketball um which even then like you and this is what also makes comedy weird to talk about with some yeah. of this stuff because you're like, is that also just part of the joke though? That's like, yeah, that's the, yeah. per- that the perception is part of the joke. I don't know, but it, it's interesting so because it's I, worth noting that people do hold that perception as though it is reality. Yes. Of like, Oh, yes. well, this and is, it you is, know, there's, there's it is funny that it's like people, white yeah. guy goes to ends of the earth and finds it to be true because that's his bias. <laughs> so like, don't get me wrong. Right. That is funny. So if it's on that um, level, there's something funny there. But if someone's taking that, on another level, it's like, oh, well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I wouldn't put that one in there because I think it is doing something intelligent. The other ones are more obviously the examples where it's like the whole well, joke and- is that these people, these Af- African-American men speak in a way that's unintelligible. And isn't that goofy, right? right? And that's not great. Um, and but and, and just as an example of the reverse, though, of like, like so like things about certain jokes with the Africa Peace Corps thing are, are weird. The Tupperware bit's amazing. And I think, yeah. like, like again, just, just fully gets to, like, the strangeness of, first of all, like, you know, that kind of idea of, like, oh, let's go bring, you know, almost like, like, now I'm definitely giving the movie too much credit. But, like, there's, there's almost an imperialism, like, or yeah. colonialism, yeah. like, commentary there of, of coming and being, like, here's where giving, like, the little in-home pitch of, you know, Tupperware. And it's oh like, no, that's hilarious! I have that in my straight thoughts. Is like, yeah, that is real. That's like, yeah, real. That, that is like the the level that so stuff like that. I think is, but the, to illustrate, like, so you can make jokes in that situation that I think are just totally work. So that's almost where it's like, oh well, you, you can maybe have done that more. Uh, whatever, I'm on board. I do want to note, um, the character you're referencing in the tower has a name. His name Johnny, and yeah, it's just tough because because and it's one of those things where you're like how much am I reading into this? But you just can't get over that. He is clearly coded like homosexual, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's an um, obvious eighties cliche of what 
and again someone listening is. can be like oh well at no point in the movie do they point that out it's just like yeah but that's what coding means like you're you're just like every single thing about the character is falls into the stereotypes that you associate with that and the fact that he is then this really silly character is like uh, but again the whole movie's silly i don't know i would just rather it wasn't there because i wouldn't have to litigate it i guess is what i'm saying right yeah. I like it's so yeah you know it is what it is the only other thing i have for what doesn't work is that some jokes have just been truly overdone yeah um i only really have one i do not laugh at the shirley line anymore and anyone who says that i don't laugh because i'm like yeah i get it and i've heard it my entire life and every time someone says shirley it's don't call me shirley and i'm sorry if i'm coming across as a curmudgeonly old man but if you ever make that joke to me i'll laugh out of politeness because i'm a type nine but just know that I don't find it funny and it's just overdone. It's just yeah. so overdone. It's crazy. It's like, yeah. so, so there's a couple jokes like that, I guess that are just like overdone. That's not the fall of the movie, but it does hold it back. So I don't yeah. Know. And that's kind of the, my, it's my last point too, is I would say the same thing more broadly with parody movies. They've just been beat into death. Um, to at a point that is like, when I watch this, I'm also, I like, I can't not think about how crappy this genre became. Sure. Soon after, not soon after, but in the nineties in particular. So. I was going to say like, like yeah. 20 years later, but yeah, so, I get it though. It, it just hangs over it, but that's not the movie's fault. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, stray thoughts. Mike and I have each prepared stray thoughts about this movie. Uh, we have eight each, right? Mike. That is correct. Even though you've sniped all of mine. So, I okay. Know. I've sniped a couple of mine. So we might just have to, you know, let's just, let's, let's just do this one live. Let's just see what happens um this one's a pretty light one to start out or a pretty like just random comment but i've worked customer service a lot and one of the things that you learn that's very important uh for anyone listening out there you may not know this don't reveal things about your coworkers' uh locations and lives to people you don't know who ask about it because <laughs> stalkers and weird people exist what's up with that uh desk attendant straight up telling this random guy who ran into the airport yeah that that's elaine great, is working on this flight like i just i just zeroed in on that of like man that is terrible what if he you don't know this guy what if he's a stalker what if he like it's, it's like it's wild to me that that happened of course i don't think that's like even a joke like that's not even a part of this movie that registers probably for most people sure. um it's just a weird thing it's a straight thought i just picked up on because i i'm attuned to that again working a lot of customer service jobs with uh creepy it's happened by the way if you're if you're saying they're like oh is that a real thing uh when i was a manager of a coffee shop more than one of our um uh female co-workers unfortunately had men who would come in who would say hey when is the next time so-and-so is working and you're like wow this is awful leave and so it's like yeah that sucks yeah, uh so yeah that's great. weird so what's up with this desk attendant i guess is that's not great bob to. not you great you, you also shouldn't get in a fight about abortions over the loudspeaker but uh, what can you, know. you say who what hasn't you, been there am i right what can you do um <laughs> what you got you're so, really by the way by the way just like and and, and like I, I may or may not keep this in the episode but you are committed to bringing up this abortion bit so many times over the course of this episode yeah it is i want to be subversive I, like this movie is john <sighs> i want to honor it keep going you know what just just, just anyway, go what's your next right the scene in which the two black passengers speak in in jive um mm-hmm. with very white subtitles translating for them that was originally written by Zuckers and Abrahams, but 
it was just a collection of nonsense syllables. They apologized mm. to the two black actors, Norman Gibbs and Al White, who then told them that this was probably the best three Jewish white guys from Milwaukee could do, and instead <laughs> offered to write their own dialogue, which they did, and that's what you see in the film. I actually love every part of that story because yeah. it's there's yeah. there's you know it's 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 how you want that situation to play out and it's yeah. exactly what I want to know about that so that's great I like that yeah um, loved it love that speaking of you know one thing that you start to get um, with this movie is is how much there was a lot of experimentation and playfulness and things that they tried on set. I feel like there would have to be right. Because like, yeah, even yeah, yeah, yeah. as they came up with so many jokes, there's just so many in the movie. So one of my favorite examples kind of related, um, or just like, you know, a passenger on the plane related in that sense. Uh, the lady, I, I could have mentioned this in one of my favorite gags, the, uh, the slap gag. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get <laughs> out of here. So yeah, it's a great bit. Uh, we're, we're, yeah, people are trying to slap her out of it. So first of all, uh, apparently the actress, Leslie Bryant, um, came up. The, the initial bit was only the two people. It was just going to be the first one and then the second one slaps her. Um, but she came up with the idea of having the entire line of people that would be coming up. The directors were kind of hesitant because they were like, hey, it might be too long. It might not play. So they're like, let's just do it once and just see what we can get. Um, and so they only did it once. And then when they watched it, they were like, that's incredibly funny. So they left it in the movie. But the actual straight thought I have, according to Bryant, Leslie Nielsen's second slap was not rehearsed or expected. And he really hit her, though not intentionally. Oh, my uh, I just God. Like, I just like knowing that because that second slap is actually a little brutal. If you watch it, I don't think he hits her with the full force, but you can kind of tell when you watch it that he makes contact. And uh, I just think that's really funny. Jeez, um, please. Yeah, isn't that insane? Uh, it's also just a great bit in the movie. So I wanted to call that out. Um, here's a really random internet fact. Uh, Ted Stryker was originally a role written for David Letterman. I did read that. <laughs> and, but weirdly, like, violates the principle we were talking about earlier. Know, Letterman that's... is not a particularly straight actor. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he would have I will been, say but... the writers and directors went on to say casting, uh, recasting it was one of the best decisions they made for the film, which I think yeah. is correct. I think that's correct. Love David Letterman, but uh, yeah, Robert Hayes does a great job. Um, this is uh, I'm just going to read this verbatim from the IMDb uh, trivia thing, because uh, this is just something that like I'm going to think about this next time I'm in an airplane. For the famous scene of the Boeing 747 crashing through the large windows inside the terminal, producer John Davidson mentions that after the movie, he received numerous letters from various pilots telling him that they have come very close to reenacting that scene in real life. With some pilots admitting that they had some, that, excuse me, that they had come so close as to touch the glass with the noses of their airplanes. Oh my God. Isn't that, I read that, Mike, when I'm looking up things for the stray thoughts, and I'm like, ooh, I, I did not necessarily Didn't need to, need have to that know that. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't want to consider that, but, uh, okay, I guess. That's, that's life, huh? That, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Great times. Think about that next time you're in a plane. I will not. I'm going to forget that right I'll text now. it to you next time you're flying. I hate you so I much. Got you. I got oh, you. Okay. I hate flying. Anyway, uh, during the Would you Quantus... watch this on a plane? What? No. Would you watch this on a plane? I mean, actually, yes. I, it doesn't matter. You would because it's, it's silly yeah. enough. Would you watch an actual dramatic plane crash movie on a plane? 
Probably still, yeah. I don't think art really. Okay, you have enough suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I I don't think it impacts me that way. But I wouldn't watch a horror movie in a dark room by myself. Actually, I would, but I know it would mess me up. I do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. I can only watch horror movies in the morning. That's uh, I think we talked about that in Jaws. Yeah, yeah. It's I punish myself apparently. I'm anyway. I'll send um, you some some airport movie next time you're in. We'll try it out. We'll try. Yeah, it we out. just give it a little test. Yeah. So this is actually like my favorite internet like research thing, which is that during the Qantas Flight 72 incident, in which a plane almost crashed over the Indian Ocean west of Australia in 2008, the captain recited some of Lloyd Bridges' lines. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. To relieve tension while trying to land the plane, and the that's crew, incredible. And I did the not entire know that. plane busted out laughing. That's that's a that's a genuinely heartwarming moment. Like yeah. I, I props to that pilot, man. That's that's quick thinking. I guess it was good, good. for for landing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this one's a question because I, I actually don't understand. Like, so I've always uh, the, the, there's a bit in the movie about all all of these. Um, very hippie like proselytizers in the airport that the <laughs> cast gets increasingly um, physically violent with. It's a great bit. I enjoy it, but I also don't understand it. And there's a sense where I think it aged weird because I, it's funny. So it doesn't, it's not aged badly. It's just like, I, I've always wondered, was that like a thing? Is I think it, or, so. cause, Cause I've just never experienced that. And I just do not know. And I guess you may not know either. Cause we're the same age. Um, but I've just always gone through life, like not quite knowing, like, is that just something that used to happen? Cause I've, I don't know, Mike, have you ever had someone in the airport try to come and offer you like, like, this is a gift from the church of something, something. I've just never experienced that. I do remember there was a time as a child in which, um, and I cannot remember what that sex called. Uh, but the, the ones where they're wearing the white robes and they have the flowers, they hang out flowers. Like I do remember that. I in, am the, pu- in the movie they call it the church of religious consciousness i assumed yeah, no, that was a no, bit no. i can't remember <laughs> I what it's that called. wasn't real they used to yeah. actually i think krishna krishna there you go krishna oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so I, I i think what happened john is 9-11 in the sense that you can't get back to the oh. terminals anymore and you actually can't just hang around anymore yeah they're, they don't really let you do that i i man that's so interesting i didn't even put yeah. it together but you're right yeah we we have mostly lived our lives post 9-11 so yeah that makes sense didn't even consider it but good point oh okay well there you go straight thought go. straight thought answered i don't know how many of these we've Boom, answered done <laughs> um the show could this, end now yeah i will shut it down this is one of those things that blows my mind because this is a, a kid's movie for me this is my childhood you know one of my top five favorites i never knew literally john until this podcast how esteemed this movie was beyond just people who like spoof movies so just a couple of things people who like like that now i'm on the edge of my seat i'm like mm. since it's re- this is a quote from wiki since its release its reputation has grown substantially it was ranked six on bravo's 100 funniest movies of all time in a 2007 okay. survey by channel four in the united kingdoms it was judged the second greatest comedy of all time behind monty python's life of brian in 2008, it was selected by Empire's Magazine of one of the 500 greatest movies of all time. And in 2012, it was voted number one on the 50 funniest comedies ever poll on the same magazine. In 2010, wow. it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, Congress. for yeah, being culturally, historically, yeah. and aesthetically significant. That's that's wild. I did not have all. I those, never all those, would have uh, known that. Yeah, I thought this was just a funny movie, and I'm like, oh no, this is apparently seen as like a very influential film. So follow up straight you know. thought. 
I'm incredibly surprised that um, that the UK would have voted for Life of Brian and not uh, Holy Grail. No, Very you know, interesting. British but, people. British people. Uh, but that is, <laughs> I, I did not know that, but that uh, that checks out, frankly. Because honestly, yeah. Mike, have you talked to anyone who has seen this movie who doesn't love it? Like, truly? No. Like, I've, no. I never have, right? I don't, so I don't just, speak to, to demons. So. Okay. <laughs> again, again, Pastor Mike coming in. Um... <laughs> For the, so you've actually referenced this a couple times, but I don't know if you have this stray thought or possibly that I'm stealing this from you. But the uh, so apparently when they were getting the they had the bit written for the announcers at the airport to uh, to, you know, do this thing of white zone, red zone and then break out into this argument. Um, the actors that they had gone to do that weren't really working out like they couldn't make it work. So they ended up getting the real world. Uh, announcers from Los Angeles International Airport. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Better part of the story that the the two people they got are in real life a married couple. <laughs> so and good. quote unquote found the uh jokes to be very funny. So it's nice to know. Um that's at the really real good. airport for what it's worth, the white zone is for loading and unloading of passengers only and there is no stopping in the red zone except for transit buses. Just in case you were ever <laughs> curious. Just in case you wanted to know. That there is an answer. That is it. That was so uh, good. Yeah. Love so that. good. Love everything about that. Um, this is a fun little oral history bit, but Leslie Nielsen was notoriously ne- was known for goofing off on set and especially pranks. Like <laughs> I, did, I did read that. Yeah. Like obnoxious pranks. And yet the moment, the moment they were about to call action. He would stop goofing off and immediately adopt a very somber, serious persona. And it would unsettle the other actors. I'll, t- I'll tell you why I love that straight, that straight thought too, because I, well, first of all, it's just tremendously endearing. I love hearing it. It also though reveals a little bit about like the comedic genius that is Leslie Nielsen, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, he is a truly silly person but there's this, there's a control to what he brings to the role when he's acting where it's basically because I think he's genuinely harnessing that same silly power, but just knows how to filter it in that exact way. That's just like perfect. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I love him. I love that character. Honestly, Mike, after we finish this recording, I think I'm going to go watch uh, yeah. the Naked yeah, Gun because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on as we're talking about. I'm just like, man, I love that guy. Um also shout out to uh police squad if you've never seen the show that the naked gun is based off of there's 13 episodes of it and it's truly incredible uh that is not my straight thought though is this our last one mike no it's uh, not okay yeah not for me this is my second I last got one two um more. yeah yeah so um a little bit of context mike and i have this uh this little bit that we keep returning to which is who is a worse hang <laughs> the character from this movie or Llewellyn Davis? I tried to write that bit for uh, this movie, but Mike, I would literally love to be around anyone in this movie yeah, for any yeah. length of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I just don't think it plays. So I, I just wanted to put it out there that I tried to write it. I wanted it to happen, but if you really think about it, is there anyone in this movie? Is there any character in this movie? You wouldn't, I just wish, I wish Rex Kramer just lived next door to me. Yeah, you know, I, know I just you wish John. I got to John, talk to that person. Everyone has figured that out, okay? I, I just want to be around and talk to that person every day of my life and just, just know all the things that comes out of his mouth. Um, 
So, you know, it just doesn't play, Mike. Everyone in this movie, you want to hang out with. That's what yep. makes it a great movie. Another L for Lewin Davis. <laughs> Another, I mean, that's truly what I wanted to, to get to was that, again, Llewellyn Davis thrown under the bus. Sucks to suck. Um, Sucks to suck, yeah. This is just a question I have for you. Yeah. What had bad habit do you wish you still did every time a minor inconvenience happens in your life? So, like, what is your, I picked the wrong week to stop doing blank? <sighs> That's a good question. I think, uh, I mean, actually, the, the like, this is maybe just too, like, this is a boring answer. But, like, I stopped. I, 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 I don't drink uh, sugary, anything sugary or any sugar. Like, I don't drink sugar. Um. But I definitely do have days where I'm like, I really just could use like a Coke. Like I just yeah, want like that sure. that rush of like sugar energy is such a unique feeling. I stopped doing it because I feel absolutely terrible within 30 minutes to an hour. Like sugar crashes hit me real hard for reasons yeah, I don't totally yeah. understand. So I don't, I don't want to do it. But like that is the real answer. Like I would like I could have a day bad enough that I could think like, I just I gotta get back in. I'm I'm going to the store. I'm buying a a, a liter. This is it. What about you? Uh, I mean drugs. I guess. <laughs> like, uh, no, Good I don't. Answer, uh, Mike. Good answer. I don't we did really. It. I don't really have. Like I don't. I can't remember the last. Time you've I never really played. given things up. You're you're too. You you've been a you you're a vice man from way back. You're yeah, just, I just every weekend going. you're just smoking cigars. You're, well, you're like, gambling. So that's a like, I I I haven't had a itch to do drugs again or whatever for a long time. Um, so that's not a real one. I legit think like smoking cigarettes. Like if smoke guys, sure. Pastor Mike's gonna say something. If you are under the age of eighteen, please get thirty seconds. Anyway. Oh um, if cigarettes didn't guess? kill you, I would still smoke them. Like, I just like That's... really enjoyed the habit of it. Um, and I don't regret saying that, but I probably I will don't think when I get a phone 18 call. year olds <laughs> are listening to this. But if you are, yeah, please do not smoke. And yeah, don't vape they, either. Vaping to be clear, you they will well, kill you. You yeah, will die. Not good. <laughs> like, it is scientifically uh, proven. But. Anyway, all to say the habit of that, like being able to go outside at a party and, you know, bump a cigarette or whatever, talk to someone outside on a cold night, that's stuff, man. And when things were stressful, getting out of like a stressful office meeting and just like going outside, smoking a cigarette. It's funny because I actually remember reading somewhere that like, like an ex-smoker was talking and they were saying, I think it was like a Reddit thread. They were saying like, truly, there are not enough things that force you to slow down in life. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, it, is, it was just something that every single day, and obviously people smoke without slowing down. But they were like, I think they were probably more like you, like a kind of social smoker. And they were like, yeah, like it was bad for me, but it was also one of the only things that forced me to take a little five minute break every now and then during my 100%. day. hundred percent. So, and again, you don't have to smoke to do that. You can find a five, you know, but, but that's the lesson I think is it's like, yeah, just find other ways to do that. No, the um, lesson is to start smoking. Yeah. It's start smoking. You. Start, You'll never it, die. Uh, what is the what's the trajectory he goes up again? It's uh it's 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 smoking, smoking. Goo, sniffing glue, crystal meth, LSD. I can't remember now. Uh, <laughs> which which again the meta joke of the idea that he actually did on this one week go cold turkey on all, all of those that things stuff. So good. is incredible. Uh, this is my last one. It's a it's it's a it's it's maybe an odd one to end on, but I I it does. 
it, it turtles me a lot. I, I really enjoy this. Um, the actor, I think his name was Joey Harris. I just wrote down Harris, but the actor who plays Joey, the, the little kid um, in the cockpit, commented that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was, quote-unquote, not acting when he erupted and grabbed Joey following his <laughs> relentless criticisms about Kareem's basketball performance. Harris said Kareem grabbed him very hard, and Joey's fearful expression was quite real. <laughs> I think, given, <laughs> given the context of what, again, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually is, or I think mostly was like, I think he did mellow out a lot once he retired. Um, but given the context of what he was like at the time, I just really, really enjoy that particular guy. I do too. That's wonderful. Oh, uh, kid, love everything about it. that. Lo- lo- and, I, and I will say, I, I read that and I went back on YouTube and rewatched the seed and I decided that he's not lying because the no, kid's face real. is like yeah. very like wide eyed. And I'm like, yeah, that kid could just be a good actor. I feel Don't like he so. is a little scary. Yeah. I feel like he is scared. I think Kareem knew. <sighs> He's like the Dale Day-Lewis of our of our lives. Um, we, we've got always said it. One last one, John. Yep. And that is uh, everyone killing themselves while Stryker tells his romance story is me <laughs> all the time when anyone tells me about any part of their life on any form of public transport. <laughs> like, literally i'm just like how can i kill myself right now again like there's there's may or may not be comments about the cultural sensitivity of the of 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 the 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 expression japanese sword thing yeah yeah yeah. but i will never not enjoy the way that uh, the last guy who douses himself in gasoline when he's holding the match (laughs) It's Stryker. It, they call Stryker up, and he looks at the guy who just stares at him for a second, and then nods. Yeah. And Stryker yeah. leaves. Like like that interaction. I just want to believe I've had. I've been on on that side of that more than once. I'm just like, yes, <sighs> please leave. Go please away. Stop talking. <laughs> Uh, also, maybe one of the darkest jokes in the movie, though, if, of the first time you cut back to the old lady who's like, oh, just, yeah, yeah, that would, I think, really did catch me off guard as a kid. And uh, yeah, yeah. Great times, man. As I'm sitting here, there's so many jokes we left on the floor, but you, you can't do them all. That's just can't the nature all, of the movie. It's too good. Can't do them uh, all. Stick around after the break. We will get to our essays. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, in this part of the podcast, Mike and I have each prepared an essay that we're going to read, uh, kind of diving deeper into some aspect of the movie or maybe even just a tangent off of it. Uh, Mike, I think I'm going to go first, if that's okay. Pick the wrong day to stop doing heroin, John. It doesn't, I, I, you, I just need you to realize that doesn't apply here in any context. Uh, just All go. Right, here we go. Probably through my early 20s, my mental image of what creativity looks like would have kind of been like one great canonical figure, someone like Beethoven or Charles Dickens or Da Vinci, locked away in a dark room and carefully selecting the right notes or the right words, kind of cultivating a delicate and exquisitely constructed manifestation of their vision. That's not a particularly unpopular image. Partially, that's because a lot of artists specifically present themselves in that way. 
Hemingway, for example, kind of just created his own mythology, the boisterous, tortured, brilliant artist that lives life on the edge. But true or not, that vision of that kind of genius artist has proved persistent. It comes up all over the place in movies and books and TV shows. It's a very popular idea of what artistry and creation looks like. At first glance, nothing could be further from that image than the enduring 1980 classic comedy Airplane. Since I came to the movie as a really young kid, and since its charms can fall in the more unsophisticated side of humor, I think it was easy for me most of my life to write off Airplane as not actually having artistry. After all, it's kind of just a bunch of dudes making silly jokes and having non sequiturs, right? Well, as you would hopefully have picked up on if you've made it this far into the podcast, to me, Airplane is so much more than that. For one thing, despite its silly tone, Airplane can be quite a complex movie from a certain perspective. As we've discussed, there's all these layered elements buried into pretty much every scene and every shot of the film. There are setups for jokes that don't pay off until much later. There are situations that come up that require certain weird outside lateral thinking to totally wrap your head around. All that to say, there are elements of this movie that do require some of that careful, precise planning that we associate with intense creatives. On the other hand, as Mike and I have already touched on, what's exciting to me about Airplane and comedy in general is how much it benefits from the messy, uncoordinated, collaborative, experimental side to creativity. So many stories we read about the film's production make clear how many iconic moments did not come from a single person sitting in a dark room thinking what would be funny. Instead, the filmmakers drew inspiration from things like crappy movies, commercials, uh, comments and experience of their actors. They tried things that didn't work and threw them out. They took risks on things that might not have paid off at all. They tried things that didn't work and threw them out. They took risks on things that might not have paid off at all. In a zany movie like Airplane, this kind of off-the-wall approach to creativity is kind of easy to perceive because the movie is overflowing with ideas. But I would argue that that approach is typical of almost all collaborative creative efforts. To boil it down into one basic idea, I would say that Airplane typifies an approach to creativity that is not based on trying to control the final product, but instead trying to discover what the final product will be. Let's go back to that image of the stoic, gifted artist savant sitting alone in their room. The reason that appeals to a lot of people's sensibilities is that we like to think of creation as a process of imposing one's will onto this world. Kind of like how we enjoy imagining a superhero that can just solve all of the world's problems by taking matters into their own hands. We enjoy imagining that great artists do not have to be subject to fear and uncertainty, but rather are masters of their medium. And I would argue, what we really want in all of that is to be able to convince ourselves that the universe works in the same way. That is, to believe that if we think of the right ideas or say and do the right things, we can create something great totally of our own will. And again, for someone somewhere, that might actually be true. But for most of us, trying to create something from sheer will just leaves you frustrated and tired, angry, and feeling inadequate because such an approach can't account for the intricate variations of the world around you. You may think that an artist can just sit down and spontaneously put together something brilliant, but in my experience, art, like life, 
only works when it is approached with humility and grace for oneself. I think the filmmakers of Airplane could only make a movie that funny and that well constructed by being willing to experiment, by being willing to change small or even huge parts of their original vision as they go through the process of creation. To put it another way, creation is not an act of imposing one's will, but of discovering, in a piecemeal way, something unexpected. Speaking with artists, it is actually very common to hear them express feeling surprised by what their work was becoming as they were making it. That response would be totally incongruous with the image of the completely in control creative, but it makes perfect sense if you imagine the process of creation again as one of discovery, playfulness, experimentation. The challenge, as I hinted at earlier, is to be able to apply the same principles to our own lives. We also like the idea of somehow imposing our will onto the world, of being able to control things around us and make them into exactly what our vision for them says they should be. But the lesson of the artist is this. Maintain humility and hold with a very loose hand your idea of what the world, or your art for that matter, should look like. Releasing your desire to control opens you up to be able to experiment, to find something different than what you were expecting, to see another side to the world than you would have otherwise. And that kind of approach is when the process of life and art can become a truly exciting thing to be a part of. It's kind of funny that we're in a room by ourselves recording a podcast and you're like, that's not how art gets made, but okay. It's an yeah, interesting it's way. It, I, I would I would uh, challenge the assertion that we are in a room by ourselves. Uh, you see, Mike, through the magic of modern technology, <laughs> what? we can communicate <laughs> as though we are in the same room. So but I would this say the, this is... The danger of modern technology is that it convinces us we're having a physical embodied experience, but we're not. I know you're kind of doing a bit, but I actually <laughs> would like to jump off of that really quick because you do raise something really interesting. I, I've the first way I thought of this entire topic was not in the context of art, but actually um, uh, gaming. Mm. I've been playing a lot of uh, online games. I've, I've lately got into online melee and online chess, especially over the last like, I don't know, four or five months. Um, actually, I guess maybe like a year. In that process, I often found I would get uh, extremely angry and extremely frustrated. Hmm. And one thing that came up a lot, like like talking to or kind of looking into it, because I'm not by nature necessarily a very angry person, I don't think. One thing that came up looking looking this up online and talking to people is, is actually word for word what you just said, where they were like, so many more people struggle with those kinds of emotions when you do these things in that online environment. Because ah. when you're missing the human, the other human factor, you're, you sort of like can't, your brain kind of just can't account for the humanity of the other person. And you end yeah, up imagining yeah. just the worst person possible. Like not, not consciously, you don't think through that. But when you start playing badly, it becomes like you sitting at a room by yourself, just getting frustrated, angry. And you don't have like having the actual human there to play off of sort of temp tempers that. And, and, um, yeah, it tempers that. Uh, that in the context of, of the sense. essay, yeah. yeah, it was a very interesting rabbit hole to, to kind of dive down. 
and to tie it much a little bit closer to what I was we were explicitly talking about um that that's one I, I've been thinking about the idea of control and release and, and obviously you and I talk about that kind of topic all the time um but again like like kind of what I was just saying here about approaching creativity approaching life also comes to approaching like competition like as maybe low much lower stakes as that sounds uh you know i i've been kind of learning that there's you know one way of approaching competition is i i have to control this game i just don't want to lose control i don't even care if i lose i just want to always feel like i know what's going on i know what i'm doing but that is what creates that sense of frustration and alienation and, and whatever. And as, as it's actually a very hard mental shift in the context of competition, but I've been trying to get better about approaching it again with that sort of playful experimentation. I don't know what this game is going to be. I'm just excited to go through the process of discovery, right? I, of, of approaching these things again with that idea of, Let's just see what happens. I don't necessarily need to feel like I'm in control all the time because again, you never actually are. And that's the true lesson I think of spirituality is that you're not really in control because you, you you're the amount of things you can control in the world is very limited. Um, yeah. Sorry. That yeah. was a tangent. You, you just cut a lot. You, you gave me a layup for the, the interesting side topic that I was already thinking about with this topic, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that in competition or art or anything like that. Well, no, I'm actually going to go back to your main topic. I did out everything you said, so I'm not going to yeah. repeat everything you said in my own words. But I do think that the topic of control is interesting in things like spirituality and theology and, and, and creation and artistic expression and making things that impact people. Because there is this like desire to, as we're trying to convey ideas or we're trying to convey worldviews in spirituality or whatever else that there's like this impulse. And I think it's an appealing one to kind of be the artist in the room, like navel gazing mm -hmm. and coming up with ideas, because that is a very controlled way to explore the world. But what's so interesting is the people who engage these topics from that perspective are like usually the least impactful to hear talk about them sometimes. Like, you know, mm, they may convey yeah. interesting ideas of philosophy or theology, but it comes across very dry. It comes across very, uh, again, unimpactful to me as someone who is like reading it. It's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to think is it comes across interesting, but it doesn't actually usually motivate me to buy into whatever they are trying to get me to understand about my world or myself or God or, mm. or their art. And it's because there's this like, there's just like this very simplistic reality, which is like, you need to live, like you need to mm, be able yeah. to go into the world and actually like find these ideas in grounded embodied ways. And you need to be able to experience them in those ways to make them conveyable, to make them in any way impactful to like the human experience. And that's not even just for like a lay person. Like that's for me as someone who studies this stuff, like I yeah. can read N.T. Wright and be like, sorry, that's a theologian, uh, often very stuffy one sometimes, and be like, oh, that's a very interesting theology. But then I'll turn around and read Richard Rohr, who is like living out his mission of like serving the poor and engaging with people and, and experiencing this world. And his writing on almost the exact same topic will hit me in a far more powerful way. And I just mm. think that's, there's a, there's almost like a lesson there where it's like, if you are failing to impede impact people with your art maybe the thing that you you don't need 
is to go into a room and learn more intellectual stuff about how to make art. Maybe you need to go for a hike. Maybe you need to go be in a relationship with a person. Maybe you just need to go live a little and suddenly your ideas will take on flesh and bone and actually have some power to them. Does that make sense? Like it absolutely does. Yeah. uh, first of all, uh, sorry to Tom Wright catching a little shade from Mike. Uh, oh, I love it. Pastor right. Mike. Want to be clear. Want to be clear. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Inti. Love my, you, buddy. Quote, quote from Mike. Inti uh, Wright doesn't live his life uh, to the fullest. Uh, you know, it, it's it's tough. It's a tough beat. But no, uh, I I totally agree with that. I think it's so it's fascinating too because if you think about it, even the beginning conceit though of like how do I how, how do I impact people. I actually also think that is another thing that often you have to sort of release, not necessarily the desire to have yeah, an impact yeah. through your work. But I think like, I think the process of, like you said, living life rather, rather than thinking through how do I, you know, what am I, what do I want to present and what do I want to convince this person of? I think that when you go on that process, you know, part of that is also being accepting that, Oh, my own perspective and, and, me myself might have to change as well right Mm, yeah Um, Mm. and again it gets to that humility side of things it's like i'm not necessarily setting out on this because i have this this again this will i have this thing that i want to that i want other people to accept or i want to to you know manifest in some way in the world but there's there's almost this side of like i'm just i just want to see where this goes and maybe that changes me Maybe that changes other people. Maybe that changes no one. But I think that you're right. Being being more open to that and being able to chase that is actually, ironically, the thing that is more likely to lead you to doing things that are interesting and that are fulfilling. And I'm not going to say that are necessarily successful at a at a war in a in a, um, a traditional perspective. Like like it's not like this is the the get rich quick scheme of like, Oh yeah. You just release everything and then you're going to get all of it back tenfold. Right. That's the, you know, it's a short version of prosperity gospel. The point is that by in the act of releasing, you might find that whatever does come back to you will probably be more meaningful. Yeah. And will probably have a much more beneficial impact on you. Um, which ultimately is what the only thing you can control anyways. So, um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I really like that perspective on, on, yeah. On how you, how you make things for other people as well. Well, and I think, is there to tie it back around to airplane, is there a better mm-hmm. example of that than airplane? Like how many times in our stray thoughts that we hear someone say, we just thought this was funny. So we tried it and it ends up being yeah. one of the best bits of the movie. Um, and, 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 and that's their yeah, only metric. They're not like, Hey, how is this going to be a meaningful world changing idea? How does this make sense of reality? How does this you know, change film forever? <laughs> and yet in many ways they did change film in a dramatic way, the comedy genre. And it's, yeah. and it, it's rooted in people just living their lives and doing yeah. things that they found funny and just being like, that's the only metric we need for making a comedy. And yeah, uh, it's, it's a movie that's alive and it's because these people lived while making it rather than trying to make something quote unquote great. Growing up, I believed that the worst thing that could ever happen to me was to be laughed at. 
or considered stupid. I was just ridiculously prideful of my intelligence, and thus appearing foolish or ignorant on pretty much any topic was simply my living nightmare, which, as a middle schooler, produced quite the hodgepodge of results. Now, in most cases, it wasn't that big of a deal. In some cases, it produced hurt, snapping at or putting someone else down from that fear of looking stupid. But more often, it produced comedy, if I'm being honest. Silly, ridiculous, cringeworthy moments where I'd get caught lying about knowing a band or a movie that I've never actually seen or heard about at all. Because in the moment, I thought admitting such things would be the literal death of me. Now, in hindsight, I've come to see that such moments were always, I mean, fundamentally grounded in fear and really ego. My psychological need to feel important, which I built up and salved by leaning into or outwardly protecting, what I thought made me exceptional in some way, especially in comparison to others, even if that wasn't actually true. It was about making identity markers, like my intellect, things that must be outwardly maintained at, as perfect at all costs. Because without that perceived perfection, or without that exceptionalism in these attributes, I would ask myself, well, who would I be? Would I matter? Would I be important or different or unique or significant, etc.? And while this produced, like I said, several harmful traits and behaviors, more often than not, it really just produced trivial side effects, the most common of which was that I simply couldn't take a joke. In that ego space, I was often defensive and pouty, incapable of laughing at myself because everything I did had to be capital I important. It had to be significant and meaningful. It had to have high stakes. And y'all, spend time with someone with that internal posture about themselves and what they do, and you'll learn very quickly that they are kind of a wet blanket. They take everything so seriously, and that is just exhausting to be around. But I'm happy to report that this particular aspect of my ego is one that's deflated to a large degree. It still exists, but overall, I've been able to successfully shrink it considerably through recovery work and counseling. And ironically, the biggest reason behind that shrinking has been learning to laugh at myself. Not in a mean-spirited, judgmental, or self-loathing kind of a way, but a more healthy way, where I identify the root of, say, a flare-up of defensiveness in the moment, be it due to an unreasonable fear or a ludicrous moment of pride or a silly attempt at self-importance, and then cognitively recognize that in the grand scheme of things, the underlying thought or feeling behind it is bound up in something that is truly ridiculous, unreal, or unimportant. That realization simply allows me to release it with almost this loving chuckle at myself. It's almost like, oh, ego, of course you feel like someone knowing you haven't seen X film would make you an insignificant worm. But that's obviously not true, you silly goose. Simply put, I've learned that laughing at the ego is often the best way to deflate it. Using laughter to grow in self-awareness and accept, as my sponsor says, that there really are no big deals. 
And honestly, that's been life-changing for me. Learning to shake my head and lovingly giggle at the silliness of what lurks beneath such dark, impulsive reactions has been such effective medicine. In a weird way, it's become almost an act of self-love. A more accepting, non-judgmental response to these parts of myself than denial or shame could ever be. And for me, at least, that's been a real gift. And for maybe obvious reasons, it's this ego-deflating shaking of the head and self-aware chuckle which shatters delusions of pride and self-importance that makes Airplane such a cathartic movie for me. Because if Airplane had a code that it lived by, this process would be it. As a parody that's neither mean-spirited nor attempting to say anything grandiose about our world, it holds this wisdom almost as a mission statement, living it out in every part of its construction. In all things, Airplane seems to desire to simply, with wry self-awareness, chuckle at the egotistical silliness underneath the self-importance that often saturates disaster filmmaking and self-serious depictions of heroism that it lampoons. Its score reminds us that even the most dramatic moments are really quite insane. The writing that even our most serious statements are one turn of phrase or misunderstanding away from becoming a delightfully vulgar or nonsensical bit of goofiness. The props that are grandiose imaginings of action really are bonkers if we think about them to any degree. Even the casting gets in on the joke. We're brilliant choices like we've already mentioned, like the casting of Leslie Nielsen, Robert Stack, or Lloyd Bridges, who are spoofing their own established in images in the film industry, produce some of the film's most delightfully self-serious silly beats. It's just a joy to watch these men, each known for portraying stone-faced, tough, manly heroes, at times in the very serious disaster films that Airplane is mocking, take a step back and just poke fun at themselves, their image, their egos, and their careers. And that's without even getting to Kareem, laughing at his own controversies, criticisms, and self-image as this self-aware NBA star turned co-pilot. Everyone in Airplane is in on the joke, and everyone involved understands the mission. They understand what it means to take the light in simply laughing at one's self. To not take too seriously these weird ways that we come to see ourselves. To recognize that there are no big deals in this life, much less in a movie about airplane crashes. Much less about themselves. That's the real beauty of Airplane. As Roger Ebert wrote, Airplane is sophomoric, obvious, predictable, corny, and quite often, very funny. And the reason it's funny is frequently because it's sophomoric, predictable, and corny. Or as Janet Maslin put it, Airplane is more than a pleasant surprise. As a remedy for the bloated self-importance of too many other current efforts, it's just what the doctor ordered. And that last quote in particular hits the nail on the head for me. We live in a world that's often very serious and dark. And our art often reflects that. And as human beings, we so easily allow that to become this form of unhealthy ego fuel. 
imagining ourselves as the linchpin of it all and its solution, and our wills as carrying the weight of the world in its change. Despite how unhealthy such self-importance becomes and how much of a wet blanket it makes us in a world that could use less ego and not more of it. And in that, Airplanes reminds me that often, in such a place, what we really need to do is to lovingly laugh at ourselves, to pause, accept who we are, identify our egomaniacal insanity, and become willing to laugh at ourselves before returning to reality as it is. Recognizing that there are no big deals, that we aren't big deals, and let that move us into a response to who or what's in front of us that's neither mean-spirited, defensive, or grandiose, but rather present, light-hearted, humble, and if we're lucky, at least a little compassionately self-aware. Because ultimately in these short lives of ours that are so often tragically afflicted by ego, while often the best medicine there is for such a disease is to lovingly, joyously, and sophomorically laugh. So here's my first question. I love that. Here's my first question. Do you, at any point that I have known you, would you have classified yourself as someone who couldn't take a joke about yourself? Because I'm just gauging like how much like I should factor that into like, oh yeah, that I I can't just, I just couldn't decide. I'm like, was Mike like way worse than I think? Or that I, I just not know him at this point right because yeah i actually don't necessarily think of you as being um uh unable to take a joke in that in that sense uh possibly a little self-serious i could i could accept that. yeah i think i think by the time that we got closer it was more self-serious it was sure and especially like we worked in the same church like i obviously took a lot of things very seriously and like you know sometimes the stakes were real but more often than not i think that's uh some sort of self-importance you know because i'm involved in it so it has to be serious right right so yeah i think that's probably the angle at which you got to experience some of that stuff but uh but yeah i don't know i i think i probably have been able to take a joke more often than not when i've been around you <laughs> i don't know you probably know i i <laughs> I, I guess so I, I like to think so i like to think so uh but yeah, I, I think that's a great perspective. I honestly don't have an obvious direction to go with it because I kind of agree with everything you were saying. Um, do you have any any thoughts or any specific, you know, something you wanted to explore a little deeper? Well, yeah. How 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 well do you take a joke about yourself? One, and then two. I guess I'm curious. Like, what do you find it hardest to kind of take a joke about yourself? Because I think that's always revealing to me. Right. Where Mm -hmm. I can laugh at myself or have someone make fun of a whole lot of things. But then there's like this weird line for me where I feel, quote unquote, disrespected. And then it's like I shut down like any ability for me to laugh at myself is like out the window and self-seriousness takes over. And I think there's a weird there's a weird value that I've placed on respect, quote unquote. That is being on, put on full display there, right? That I sure. have this weird internal narrative about myself and the need for respect. Um, that obviously is getting dinged. And sometimes that's fair. Sometimes they're like, I am being treated wrongly. I'm not saying to put up with that. 
But other times it's hitting up against some weird facade that I'm trying to protect. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm just absolutely. curious if, if you have identified any of the stuff like that in your own life. I would say, uh, I mean, in a way it's a funny question because, because from a certain perspective, you're explicitly asking like, what is one of your biggest insecurities? So I probably mm. won't answer as honestly as you oh have my just, God, John Coward. just because, yeah, no, cause I'm a coward. Absolutely. <laughs> Having said that, it, it's, it's interesting to me that I, I feel very similarly. And it's actually even interesting that we were discussing a few minutes ago, um, online gaming because as, as, as low stakes of an environment as that may be it actually did help kind of reveal a little bit of this to me of, of the way that i think for me there's a there's a, a large sense of I, I don't like feeling you said unintelligent i guess it would be almost like like incompetent right would be oh. would be like my my sort of spin on it which is is related but is, is subtly different i think there's a a sensation that you can sometimes have of like this person doesn't even think I know what I'm doing. And I think that I definitely do have a sense of, of caring quite a lot about seeming competent, seeming like, you know, that this is, and and I think that like, so all of these are insecurities by definition. And I I tend to think both of those are are two of the most common, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's incredibly, easy to feel like you said disrespected or just just to not feel like you're able to or i don't know yeah i guess just disrespected is probably the best word um ironically or not even ironically like what's interesting too is again going a little bit back to mine um is how related these are right as ideas in terms of if you are unable to, if you do take yourself too seriously and your work too seriously and can't laugh about yourself in that sense, I think that explicitly prevents you from being um, able to, to, like we said, kind of explore and, and experiment with your life or with what you're doing in the same way, right? Um, mm, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense exactly, but it does. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's essentially just the idea of like, oh, you know, yeah, you have to be able to 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 have that experimental um, kind of perspective, to have that playful. I don't know. I'm I'm releasing contr- my desire to control things. To be able to do that, I think one of the prerequisites is like kind of adopting a a, a less self serious attitude about whatever the thing is that you're approaching um again not to get too much into my my essays topic like i think that really does come up a lot in artists and artistry as well in fact i i I, you know that i think that's almost even a better example is that um than the example i use not you um i I think that that could be even a better example than what i was using of of like you know it's just very common i think for artists to approach their work of like this i want this to do all of these things and I need it to be, this is meaningful. But again, once you've assigned that, that almost disclaimer in your mind, or once you've assigned that goal, that totally unrealistic goal in your mind, you, you also sort of box yourself in from trying things that you don't know what they're going to be or how it's going to turn out. It boxes you in from taking risks, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind so of, I think I... that is just another, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, that's, that's kind of just like immediately where my head went is to like, it's what we're kind of talking about is like, becoming comfortable with failure and not and not mm. thinking of failure and even that word has so much power behind it 
but like not thinking of failure as a big deal in a lot of ways, especially when it yeah. isn't, when it's just the necessary growing pains of learning how to do a new thing, right? And there's just so often that we're like, to fail is to die. And and there is, it's a little cliche in modern culture, I think, Um, probably as an overcorrection to how failure adverse our cultural narratives have been. So I think a lot of people are talking about like embracing failure as like the pathway to growth now, often in kind of vapid ways. But I, I do gonna, think yeah. that's because <laughs> Sorry, it's yeah. it's hinting at a real truth, which is yeah. like any mystic or any spiritual tradition is going to call talk about things like dying to live, the hero's journey. You know, um, these moments of failure are the opportunities to grow because it means you're taking a risk and you're allowing yourself to be impacted by something new that obviously you can't control and thus you can't control the success of. Right. Um, right. And if you're going on that journey, failure will be part of that experience inherently unless you're just the luckiest person alive hey thank you guys so much for listening uh once again this has been this film could be your life uh we actually do have a final question mike and i have each prepared for each other before that, we want to let you know the next movie that we are doing on this podcast is a pretty small kind of indie fair. Like it was, uh, it was just kind of went under the radar. It wasn't too big of a movie, but we, we like to capture. Are you, really? Uh, we like to capture. I'm already doing a bit. Why are you doing a bit when I'm already doing a bit? I was already in the middle of, we're doing Jurassic Park, 1993. <laughs> Normally I say watch it, but like, have any of you oh. actually not watched Jurassic Park? Like, is that, is that possible? I, I, don't, no, know. I don't know, man. I, I do worry that there's probably a lot of people making dinosaurs out of okay. fossilized mosquitoes. John. It's a classic, classic quote from the movie. It's, it's one of the best, <laughs> one of the best lines to be honest. I do now worry. This is kind of like when we did our, uh, dark Knight episode and talked about, how time moves on and culture moves on from things. I do worry that there are people, I do know people who are like, oh, I, I don't like Jurassic Park as much as the new ones. And they mean yeah, like well, Jurassic World. Oh, oh. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I'm oh. like, that's like the most trash thing I've ever I would have been. <laughs> I try I to be open responded, to other people's opinions, but. I would have responded more, like more kindly if they had just said, I don't like Jurassic Park. <laughs> they had said, I like, like I would have rather you just more. didn't like the movie. <laughs> like oh nope didn't like that did not yep. enjoy how that sounded in my ears that is a that is a a, a hashtag rough take I, yeah. I, I do not appreciate that uh but again like you know what like whatever you like maybe we're just snobs maybe we're wrong mike have you ever nah. thought of that okay. <laughs> you make a compelling argument <laughs> mike what is your final question okay so seeing Kareem in this movie like fills me with childish glee and I love it. And actually I'm really happy to, I'm excited to hear answer this question. So um, in terms of the intersection of modern pop culture and your favorite cultural expressions, who would you love to see in the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar role Mm. in the remake of this movie? Like who do you love that Mm. gets maybe criticized a lot for being great and you just die laughing if you saw them defend themselves to a child in the middle of ridiculous comedy? Okay. The first one that came to my mind, like Johnny Depp, I I struggle Johnny Depp. I struggle (laughs) because like this person has fallen so out of public favor 
that mm. I think I'm going to I'm going to expose myself a little bit. I'm going to get I'm going to become kind of a laughing stock, especially to the Zoomers out there. Shout out to the Zoomers listening. Hey, Why hey. on earth would you be listening to the show? I think, I think um, they're past podcasts, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly, uh, <laughs> because the first one that popped in my head was Bono. Which, no. first of all, don't tell me that wouldn't be hysterical. That would be funny. Is yeah. some, some, some dumb little kid being like, hey, what was with the... And, and you know what it would be about? It would be about the Apple iPhone de- or iPod debacle thing. I guess it was iPhones. Yes, yes. That's and the kid would be like, oh, wait, aren't you just the band that did this? And he'd suddenly break character and be like, listen, that was just... It, like, it just gets so mad. Cause it, and frankly, it is dumb that people get so... like That was that doesn't have anything to do with the band. See, now I'm playing Bado's part. I'm like, that was all Apple. We were just kind of there. We just signed on to something. <laughs> um, but that's the first one that comes to my mind. And as I talk it through, I'm like, that could be kind of funny. I, I think I'd be, be actually... I'd actually be interested in that. Um, I don't know if I have another good example. Because <sighs> I, I don't great. think... I think that works because that also yeah. everyone kind of knows who he is, but uh, I think it'd be pretty hysterical seeing him, seeing him do a bit like that. Is Kareem just kind of your answer? Like that just was no, so I, right there I for think, you. I think LeBron is my answer because like LeBron would talked, be hysterical. We, we've talked yeah. before about like how obnoxious the you'll never be Jordan stuff is like right. just generally the goat conversation. And he's played on, he's dragged some trash basketball teams to the NBA finals. He is obviously much better than people give him credit for. Uh, he is, he's a good actor. He's like actually funny and like, not like a good actor. You a big, you but a big in like, Space Jam guy? In terms, no, that movie's terrible. But like, if you ever watch like Trainwreck and stuff, like when he has cameos, he's actually pretty funny in movies. Um, mm-hmm. So he's not just going to be like a, a, a dry towel that no one wants to watch. Um, so yeah, I just think hearing him respond to the Michael Jordan stuff would just be my delightful. Now me. that we're saying this, I'm actually seriously surprised this hasn't happened. That there hasn't just been yeah. like a YouTube thing of LeBron. He owns a media company of him doing, and yeah. not even like just this conceit. I'm surprised he hasn't done a a spoof of Airplane of this yeah. scene from Airplane. Yeah, like yeah, you're right. I think he could really sell it. That'd be that'd be I super funny. I think he funny. can nail it. Uh, let's uh, you know what? Let's write to it. Let's call him up. Yeah, LBJ, let's do it. we got Finally. you. Finally, finally, <laughs> we we fixed your legacy for you. He'd love to hear it. Oh, um, my goodness, I was gonna say Bo Burnham, but he kind of did this bit with Inside, like the entire was... entire special. <laughs> so never mind. That's wow. That what an interesting perspective. We should do Inside at some point. By the way, yeah, we should. It'd be too depressing, but uh, yeah. mine is a lot. I, I frankly, I just like your question a lot more. So I'm gonna do mine, but just know that. In hindsight, I should have gone first because this is just a less exciting. Yeah, you did it. Um, A few weeks ago, there was a news story about a guy in a small private plane who had to be talked through landing after his pilot friend had a medical episode and and went unconscious. Everyone was fine. Um, Mike, how do you think you would fare slash respond in that situation? You're up in a plane and uh, you're you're with some some pilot friend of yours and they... uh, you know, they go unconscious and now you're on the radio and it's, hey, can you land this plane? And let's go ahead and raise the stakes and say it's a passenger plane. Are you going <laughs> to are you going to do you think you're going to do you think you're going to do you're going to land this one? Well, so my first answer when it was just me and some dead dude in a plane was I would just I would just die. I would just choose to, to like call it, call it. Um, but now there's like stakes. That's tough. Now That's when there's tough. stakes, you think you think you'd be able to. do It's so funny how that no, works, so though, right? It's like, OK, is, well, now. 
There is a why well, I have to I have to try is what I'm trying to say. Like, I have to try. I have to do it. It's good um, to know. It's good to know you would try. That that's yeah. We yeah. have John. You and I have a mutual friend um, who we used who to go to church pilot, together. Yeah. He was an older gentleman, and he flew planes, and he always, always, always was bugging us about. Uh, going up in the plane with him, and I actually can't remember if you did. Did you? I did. did I was you? about to say I took him yeah. up on it. It was it was an, yeah. actually an extremely so, fun time. So I hate flying. So cool. one, I always <laughs> said Good no start, yeah. because I was like, no, why would I do something that I hate for like what fun? A terrible that idea. Terrible. Yeah. Um, it freaks me out. I don't enjoy it. Uh, and two, there was always something in the back of my head that was like, you're kind of old, dude. And if we're up there, and that just happens to be your last flight. And I'm stuck having to land Man, this, this plane tough airplane call. style. This is a tough pull. I'm just saying, there's always a part of your back of your head when someone's like, hey, you and me alone in the plane. I know how to fly it. You don't need to. You're like, but what if I have to? And what if, I don't really want to be if? in that situation. So wow. all to say, um, I, I, we would die. We would all die. Flying planes is complicated. And not, actually, not flying them. Landing planes is incredibly complicated. I think landing and, is harder, uh, yeah. Yeah, that would not be good for anyone. So I would try. I wouldn't handle it well. I'd be very upset. I'd feel like a failure. I'd feel like I was stupid or ignorant in front of people. And these would also be um, the last moments of your life. So this is yeah, just which a bad... Would, which would this trigger is my ego into defensiveness and overconfidence, and then I would kill us all. So. We've really... This has really gotten, like, way more intense than I think I necessarily expected it to be. Uh, my answer was, John, I think I'd do great. I played, ju- yeah, yeah. Would either of us just be like, as they try to explain the process, we're like, don't worry, we got this. We know how to do it. No, I, I, I would. Yeah. I, already, I, yeah, I played, I Mike, I've played, uh, I think, 10 hours of Microsoft Flight Simulator. Mm. So I think I got this. <laughs> yes. I know what flaps are. So that's a great start, right? Like, you, you probably have to know that. I don't know if you have to know that. That's how little I do know. But I, since I, I don't know if I need to know that, I think I do, and I think I could swing it. I'd have no problems. In fact, there's a non-zero chance I'd get on the phone and be like, I don't actually need you guys. <laughs> just, just, just back off. <laughs> chill, guys, chill. Just, just, just chill. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Ah, uh, good times. Um... You know, that almost does remind me, just if anyone's curious, there's one like stray thought we left off. Mike, are you aware that the uh, airlines, I, I wanted to say it was a federal regulation. I, I'm mostly sure it is, but I'm not 100% sure. So I'm just going to say it's at the very least a policy. But air, airlines actually do have a thing that is uh, where the pilots will not eat from the same, like the same meal. Like hmm. they, they won't eat like the same or like from the same situation because you don't actually want both of them to get. Well, no, after this movie, like it's named the airplane what? law or the oh, airplane thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That, I cool. guess that was the, I buried the lead a little bit. That's the I was interesting thing. It was fact. after a real life tragedy. No, no. <laughs> that you were hoping that that's good. No, no, no. Yeah. It's uh, apparently that was like I the story that I, I heard. And this sounds a little too cute where I'm like, ah, oh, this probably didn't actually happen that way. But the story I heard is that someone saw the movie and was like, ha, ha, ha. Hey, wait, do we actually have something in place for, for this situation? And, oh, no, I guess we don't. And then, you know, I guess we'll figure that out. I don't know if it was exactly like that, but it is true that after this movie, at some point, someone was like, hey, we should actually prevent that specific situation from coming up. That's wonderful. That's so great. That, isn't, that, isn't that great? Little yeah, I like, I I like that. knowing that about the world. 
Uh, well, thank you all for making it through this episode. Thank you all for listening. I'm not going to... We're done with negative talk, Mike. We're all positive from here on out. Mm, here we go. Mm, we did it. Yes. Pick uh, the any wrong final... day to stop doing Cool. That was MDMA. it. I was going to... You know what? You know what, Mike? I'm not even going to give you another chance. I was about to say, do you have any final thoughts expecting you to do the bit? I'm not going to ask you anymore. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Jonathan Devine. Joined by Mike Overstreet. Nope, I can't can't do it. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Take care. Wrong day to stop interrupting John. This is the end of the episode. (laughs)